The Granzadillo School of Business and Management at Pepperdine University proudly presents the Dean's Executive Leadership Series. This podcast invites top business practitioners and thought leaders to share their view on the real world of business. Hello and welcome. My name is Rick Gibson. I'm the Vice President for Public Affairs here at Pepperdine University, and I'm joined today by Dr. Linda Livingstone, Dean of the Grazadillo School of Business and Management. Welcome, Linda. Thank you, Rick. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, we're excited to hear from Jenna Winograde today, and uh, this is the second installment in the Dean's Executive Leadership Series. Tell us about our guest. Well, Jana is the Executive Vice President of Business Affairs and Administration for ABC Entertainment Group, which means basically that she works with the development and acquisition of all their primetime, daytime, and late-night programming and marketing with ABC.com, does all the deals and agreements mm-hmm, for those. So mm-hmm. quite a complex responsibility, so it will be a very interesting discussion. Yeah, I look forward to that conversation. So uh, we invite our listeners to sit back and relax and enjoy this conversation with Jenna Winograde. to be back with our second Dean's Executive Leadership Series of the Year, and our podcast today is with Jana Winograde. She is the Executive Vice President for Business Affairs and Administration for ABC Entertainment Group. But Jana, it is wonderful to have you with us. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm very glad to be here today. You know, when we start these conversations, I usually like to give our audience a little bit of a background on the individual that we're talking to, and uh, anyone who's in the entertainment industry, people find fascinating. But you grew up in Southern California, and were one of those people who said you didn't really want to be in entertainment, from what I understand. So how in the world did you get to where you are, given that that wasn't sort of your career path that you had planned out for yourself? Well, I I actually did grow up in California. I grew up in Los Angeles, and I'm a product of the UC system. I went to UC San Diego, and then I went to Berkeley, Bolt Hall School of Law. And coming out of law school at that time, they tended to funnel people towards big law firms. And I followed that path, and I worked at a law firm called Munger, Tolles & Olson in downtown Los Angeles for three years. And I realized for a number of reasons that it wasn't what I really wanted for my long-term career path. So I started to look around. I was always interested, once I worked at a law firm, by the intellectual issues that were raised by the entertainment industry. And so when a job came up at ABC, it was actually in litigation and employment advice. I jumped at the opportunity just to get in the door. And once I was there for a little over a year, I took a job doing business and legal affairs. It was still within the legal department for a now defunct production company called ABC Productions. And a year after that, I was offered a job at the network. I really, it was a big decision for me to leave the legal department Mm -hmm. and go to the business side, but I figured I could easily do that. And if I didn't like it, go back to the law with a whole new understanding of the business side. So I moved to the network and never looked back. I've been there for 16 years and worked my way up. Well, so your title, Business Affairs Administration, that's a pretty broad, generic title. So what exactly fits under that for you in terms of your responsibilities? I think they didn't know what to call me. <laughs> well, then you can do whatever you exactly. want to, right? <laughs> they didn't know what to call me because I have I actually have the Network Business Affairs Department, which reports to me, and I have Studio Business Affairs, which reports to me. I also have the Music Department, mm-hmm. the business side of the Music Department that reports to me, 
And then I, my job has really morphed into much more of a business management job. I really serve as the business partner to Paul Lee, who's the president of the network, and his business consigliere for all issues. I manage our programming budgets, our, um, once we have a five-year plan and an operating budget, I help to work with finance to draft those and then to manage those throughout the course of the year. Um, and just to go back for a second, just to help people with business fairs is, because I think a lot of people don't know what that right. means. I mean, at its most basic, it's deal-making. Right. So on the network side of business affairs, that's making all the deals that are required in order for the network to acquire programming from outside studios or from our own in-house studio. And on the studio side, it is a production-related job where they're making all the deals that are necessary in order to produce television. Mm -hmm. So everything from rights, writers, directors, that type of thing. It's also a general management job in the sense that a business affairs executive is generally managing whatever projects they're in charge of. Mm -hmm. Any issues that come up, they're sort of the hub of the wheel from a business perspective. So many of our students and alumni have uh, gone into roles where they really do kind of a transition in the type of role that they have, either in within an organization like you did or across organizations. So you went from being a pretty focused legal uh, entity or legal responsibilities in the organization to doing something that's now much, much broader than that. How did you, how did you evolve yourself into that much broader role from uh, uh, the legal training that you had and the kind of legal role that you had when you started? It really was an evolution. It was an evolution that took place over the past 16 years, mm -hmm. and it took place as I became more senior. I think that as you move up in an organization, whatever department mm -hmm. you're in, that generally what ends up happening is you get less in the weeds and less in the micro and more in the macro. And so as I moved up, and as other people were taking day-to-day -day responsibility for the actual deal making or project management that left me with the ability and the bandwidth to take on more and more of the broader responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And I've been really lucky with the bosses that I've had. That makes a have, huge difference. Yes, <laughs> a huge difference. And both in terms of my immediate bosses, but then also sort of the whole chain of command of the network and studio in terms of really including me in decision making, mm -hmm. which allowed me to grow in a really, really tremendous way. So I know in the entertainment industry, um, obviously the creative side, the you know the entertainment side of the business often drives a lot of what goes on, and you work on the business side. How does that integrate for you at ABC, and how do you work with the creative side of the business to bring it all together and make it work? Well, I'm really lucky because the creative folks at ABC, and I've been there a long time, so there's there's mm -hmm. been a lot of turnover, right. um, are fairly easy to work with in the sense that because they've always had a fairly strong business core, they it, there's a really simpatico relationship between our creative executives and our Net and our business executives. That being said, there is a general tension between business and creative because, as I just said, there's been a lot of turnover, and that's because people generally refer to these creative chairs as rented chairs, mm -hmm. and they call them rented chairs yeah. because the truth is that most of these creative jobs, people have them for five or six years, and 
when you have a job where you get a report card every single day that's very public, mm -hmm. you know, over time what tends to happen is at some point that cycle is going to go down and the person ends up getting replaced. The business people tend to be there for a very long time, or at least not, they don't turn over in the same mm -hmm. sort of way. And that can create a tension because for a creative executive, their goal is to get the biggest hit they can get for the next year. For me, as the head of the business side of it, my goal is not only to help them in any way that I can to get these hits and to make sure that we're making deals in such a way that they get them, but to protect the business on a long-term basis. So I'm making decisions when I'm helping them mm -hmm. to acquire a property that could have ramifications five years from now. And if you're going to blow a deal with someone over something that's going to happen five years ago and all they want is a hit tomorrow, right. there's a natural tension sure, there. Sure. The priorities are different. Exactly. The incentives are actually different, exactly. too. Yeah. And again, I've been lucky in that most of the executives that I've worked with have been fairly responsible. But, you know, there are sometimes we make bad deals. Yeah. <laughs> but we know it we're happens. doing it. Here's the thing. <laughs> we know we're doing it and we make the educated choice that it's worth it. Yeah. So I have a graduate assistant who does background work on our uh, speakers, and uh, uh -oh. and so the one I had was really good, and she tells me that you have a passion for design and you love to remodel and flip houses. So talk a little bit about that interest, because that's kind of an interesting contrast to what you do in your work every day, and what sort of got you excited about that, interested in that, and then I'd love to connect that to kind of are there any connections between that and what you do, or what have you learned from that that maybe has helped you in your working world? Well, I... I do have an incredible passion for houses generally and design specifically. And it started when I bought my first house. Mm -hmm. And we were remodeling, my husband and I. And I found that I loved it and that I had a talent for it. And over before we had kids, uh -huh. every two years, we seemed to buy a house, remodel it, and then sell it and move on. Once you have kids, it's a little yeah, bit much harder. harder. <laughs> Many more things to move um, on a regular basis. But fairly recently, we were remodeling our house. So me being the crazy person I am, because I don't have enough to do, I we actually bought a house, remodeled it, moved into it for the year we were doing our house, and flipped it. Because I couldn't stand the idea <laughs> of renting when I knew <laughs> that this was an opportunity right. to do this. What was the second part of the question? I'm sorry. Uh, is there anything that you've learned from that or from that passion you have for that that sort of informs what you do professionally? Or are they just sort of two distinct parts of your life that serve different purposes for you? Well, they are different parts of my life. And I do feel that the design for me mm -hmm. gives me an incredible creative outlet. Mm -hmm. And I love it. People, when they see that I do this and I do a lot of it, right. do not understand how I have the time. And I try to explain to them that for me, it's... A hobby. It's right. what other people would mm -hmm. do. For, you know, somebody goes and plays golf for five hours. I'd rather be looking for light fixtures. But there are aspects of it that are fairly analogous in a business sense mm -hmm. to any business. You know, in real estate, timing's everything. And you have to buy at the right time and you have to sell at the right time. Clearly, that's, that's a principle that also applies mm -hmm. in business. And I also think that there's a cost-benefit analysis that goes when you are remodeling a house for resale particularly, mm -hmm. where you say, okay, I want this house to be appealing to a buyer, but I want to know when I'm, when it makes sense to spend money and when it makes sense to save. Mm -hmm. You know, So you're going to buy a $3 white subway tile, not a $30 white subway tile, um, but you may do one wow factor. And the same applies to television, because the truth is that we prioritize all the time in terms of you know, you're going to, you're going to pay a lot of money to get the big star, but for the fourth lead, you're going to cast within your budget. Right. And so there are a lot of, you know, analogous 
examples I can come up with. I wouldn't say they inform one another, but they definitely have a symmetry. Right. Wonderful. So that that brings balance to your life, and you've got children and a spouse. Uh, How do you make all that work? We talk a lot about, you know, is there really work-life balance? I sort of think that's a bit of a paradoxical kind of statement. Uh, So how do you bring that balance to your life or make it all work, given that you work in a real high-profile kind of job at a big, high-profile company with a lot of demands and a lot of pressure? How do you sort of make the rest of your life work with that? You know, it's hard, and it's a big part of what I'm going to speak about Mm -hmm. today. Anybody who says it's easy, I don't think has done it. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know anybody who does it who thinks that it's easy. But there are a couple guiding principles for me that make it easier. And one is, you know, it comes down to me to choice and boundaries. Mm -hmm. And they're the big choices. I made a choice not to work in a law firm where Mm -hmm. I knew that I would have absolutely zero control over my own time. And to work in a company where even though I work really hard, There is more of a structure to it, and there are business hours, and while we all work outside of business sure. hours, it definitely has much more of a predictability and a structure mm-hmm. to it. That was a choice, you know? I And I make choices every day that require me to balance what is the most important at that moment. I'm going to talk a little bit tonight about this article that I read. I was sitting in a doctor's office, um, and it's embarrassing because it was Oprah magazine. Um, <laughs> but it was a woman, a very successful businesswoman, had written this article that that she really found that the way she made her decisions when she was trying to balance things, she called it the 10-minute, 10 10-day, 10 10-year 10 rule. And she would look at each of these decisions, like if she had to go on a business trip mm-hmm. versus missing her child's Thanksgiving parade, you know, how is this going to affect each one of these in 10 minutes, 10 days, and 10 years? Mm-hmm. And she felt that that paradigm sort of a lot of times informed the decisions. Right. And I have to say, every now and then, I find myself going back there. <laughs> Thinking about it's those. It's a little uh, embarrassing, but I do because you really do yeah. have to make decisions based on both short-term and long-term, yeah. you know, and what really is important. Absolutely. So as you think about what you're doing now, are there, you know, what are you most excited about that you have to look forward to uh, with regard to what you're doing at ABC and what, what projects are looking really exciting for you that you could share with us about? Well, we're about to go into pilot season. That's always you know, exciting. We're, exactly. We're, we're a very cyclical business. Mm-hmm. You know, we know exactly when we're going to be buying our scripts. We know exactly when we're going to be producing our pilots, when we're going to have our upfronts, and then when we go into series production, and then we start it all over again. And we're about to go into pilot season, which is a really crazy time for us, but to me it's a really interesting time, and it's a time that's energizing, because even though you work really hard, everything has potential. You right. know, nothing failed <laughs> yet. So so I actually love pilot season. I'm excited we're about to get back into it. Are there any pilots that's absolutely necessary we should watch? Well, we don't know yet. We'll see. You'll have to <laughs> let us know when you know exactly. more about them. That's exciting. So to close, uh, in the business school, we uh, talk about our mission being to develop value-centered leaders and to advance responsible business practice. So as you kind of reflect on uh, your life and your work professionally, are there two or three values that are particularly important for you that kind of drive the core decisions that you make in your life and in your work? Yes. I mean, at the end of the day... It's all about integrity. Mm-hmm. It really is. I don't think you can find someone who's a truly inspiring executive and leader that doesn't have an absolute core of integrity and isn't making their decisions mm-hmm. from the right place. I try really hard to be fair. 
you know, I think people would say that that's probably my reputation in mm -hmm. town is that I'm very fair. And so when I say something, people believe that it's fair. And I really fight for the people who work for me. You know, I have an incredible team and there's no way that I could do what I do without them. And I know it. And um, I appreciate them and I fight for them. And I think that that is so important. Wonderful. Those are certainly great values and ones I think that our audience will appreciate and resonate with them. Well, Janie, it's been fabulous having you with us. Uh, we look forward to your presentation and folks will have access to that uh, on video as well as this on a podcast. So oh, thank you for being with us. Thank you. Well, Linda, that was a fascinating conversation. Um, I'm sure that both uh, the students and the listeners really, uh, really gained something from that conversation. Well, I think uh, through Jana's presentation, we got a bit of an inside perspective on the business side of the entertainment industry, which Pretty complex, was yeah. quite interesting and complex. And having it on the Disney site was fabulous for those that were there in attendance. So we're uh, thrilled always to have Disney support this series on a regular basis. Certainly. Well, tell us who we can expect to hear from uh, next in the series. Well, next, we have Ed Wedbush, who, as many in Los Angeles know, is the founder of Wedbush Securities. He's in some ways a rather iconic uh, business figure in the city. Uh, so it is quite an honor to have him joining us and to speak to our audience uh, in our next series. Wonderful. I would look forward to that conversation. In the meantime, let me invite our listeners to learn more about the Dean's Executive Leadership Series by visiting our website at bschool.pepperdine.edu slash Dells. Until next time, thanks for listening.